It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Wrestling. Funnily enough, to wrestle Ricky Chosu and Masahiro Chono 
in uh, no rope no rope exploding uh, barbed wire matches. However, back in FMW, the owner of the company, Sachiro Aoki, uh, the the actual ring announcer uh, and um, in uh, in to the Anita's right hand man had taken over the company at Anita's request and kind of phased him out, which is understandable because Aoki did not have an easy time in his life when Anita was in charge. But the big money change in the company came from the fact that it picked up DirecTV as an investor and was now able to put money into production values. And they managed to work into some interesting deals in the United States of America that allowed them to have a talent swap agreement with, of all places, ECW, as you'd expect, and the WWF, as you really wouldn't. But here we are. And this led to the 10th anniversary show, which was a very different product from FMW, which I'll explain in a second. But John, before you watch the show, what are your thoughts going into it? Well, I knew it was going to be different from old school FMW. We've seen over the sort of shows you've brought me in to watch that FMW was going through this attitude change. I knew they had the ECW and DirecTV contracts, but personally, I'd never watched this far into FMW's life cycle purely because I knew of how much the product changed. Like, I'm a sucker for the sort of sleazy early 80s to Onika's retirement period of FMW. So venturing this far out has been an experience. <laughs> yeah. So, like we said, one of the reasons why uh, FMW had to change was for all the reasons we've talked about with both FMW and ECW and any extreme promotion. The thing is, you burn through things very, very quickly, like storylines and stars, because once you've blown somebody up, they're pretty much done as a threat to your major babyface. And also, your major babyface spends an awful lot of time in hospital, because he's getting blown up on a regular basis. So, what FMW tried to do was to produce a more TV-friendly and entertainment-friendly product, and they started promoting themselves with this angle, using um, Kodo Fuyuki, who we talked about before, who come in as a babyface and then slowly turned heel with Fuyuki Gun, or Goon, I should say. And they try and create this space where they are, um, well, world entertainment wrestling. And that's the heel faction that starts to take over the company through Fuyuki Gun and then Team No Respect. The trouble is, when you sell this new respectable style of wrestling as the bad guys and the old violent style of wrestling as the good guys, much in the same way as WCW had with their Billionaires Club and the New Blood, you're going to have problems, aren't you, John? Yeah, a lot of things are going to get lost or confused. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why is this new form of wrestling being portrayed by the guys that we're not supposed to like causes a bit of an issue. Um, it's the main reason why the Billion Millionaires Club kind of fell on its ass, to be honest with you, is because, you know, in WCW, they had this idea of, let's have the Billionaires Club. All the old guys who earned tons of money, well, unless you portray them as the bad guys, the new guys don't get any traction. And within a week, of course, the bad, the old guys had made themselves baby faces, and the, the new guys had to then go with being heels. 
and it meant that WCW's young blood were never going to stand a chance. And much the same happened here. Um, uh, there was some wins from the WEW guys, which is the reason why the belts are no longer the FMW Brass Knuckles or Independence World Championships. They're the WEW. Interesting belt design. They seem to have gone back to the 1970s to design those belts, I guess, really. Bit weird. Um, I admit, the, the fact act- that it says WEW at first when I read the cage match for the show, I'm like, why the fuck is there so much WWE here? And I'm like, oh, wait, it's WEW. Yes. Um, and a lot of things were new in the sense there was much better production. The ring looked nicer for a start. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look like a death trap. Um, and there was a lot less violence, even though the matches involved were likely to be more violent. Let us progress. The show opened with a six-man tag for the WEW Six-Man Tag Team Championship. Now, thanks to the anniversary show's legacy of Mike Awesome and um, Horace Boulder, and Titan, to be fair, the six-man tag at the anniversary show had always been something to look forward to. It was usually generally a blast with somebody getting thrown off a balcony. However, this was never going to reach that particular standard. Flying Kid Ichihara and Chocobo Mukai, who was um, a wrestler who gave out chocolates and later had an adult film career. Oh, sorry, earlier had an adult film career. Sorry, that, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> the entrance video was. That is the weirdest way to open a show I think I've ever seen of literally just someone blowing into a video and hip thrusting at various speeds. In January 1990, Mukiyama applied for acting auditions, simply requesting actors. When Mukiyama arrived, he discovered it was for the JAV movie, but was offered the part and accepted. Being more muscular than most of the Japanese porn stars made Mukiyama stand out during his early career. Soon after acting in his first film, he was given the gnome, Chocoball Mukiyami, a reference to his dark brown scrotum and resemblance to chocolate candy. Anyway. I'm really not It's him. It's him and Koji Nakagawa. Sorry. Let's start again. Flying Kid Ishihara and Chocoball Mukai tagged with Ricky Fuji. Now, Ricky Fuji had turned on Team No Respect. And, of course, Ricky Fuji had gone back and forth between babyface and heel throughout his FMW career, and he was considered a bit of a traitor by the heels. So he finally found a home as the defenders of violence in FMW. And, of course, he's been in, like, most of those great six-man tag team matches down the years. He was kind of a good glue wrestler for this. They went up against Koji Nakagawa, Jado, and Gedo. Yes, that Jado and Gedo, the world-class tag team but they were quite the world-class tag team at this particular point. It was a ladder match. It went 15 minutes and 54 seconds. And in each corner, Sena Wakana was the manager for Ricky Fuji, Flying Kid Ichihara, and Chocobo Mukai. And Kawaki Arai was the manager of Team No Respect. Uh, both ladies ending up in their underwear for no apparent reason. Well, you wonder about John. the amazing power of distraction. Did you not know Vince Russo booked this match? I don't think he did, to be honest with you. And this was the kind of thing that you kind of like, this was like, oh, these are all classic FMW wrestlers, really. Um, and they kind of had a classic FMW kind of match, but with a lot less blood in it. And it was perfectly serviceable. And then the girls took their dresses off because to distract their opponents. 
and it was very late 90s WWE, to be honest with you. It didn't even have the sort of sleaze factor ECW has when they go for that sort of thing. It was literally just, oh, the girls have got their kit off, oh, they're scrapping, yep, hey, bra and panties match, anyone? That That's yeah. literally what it felt like. Especially I- when you can, you know what's going to happen next. <laughs> but for now, let's keep going. Yes, carry on, you were saying. I was I I just laughed because the first because it's obviously in highlights mode typical FMW videotape. The first thing you see is I think it's Chocoball Nukai getting a ladder hammered into his balls. I was just like, well, that's that's a tone for the rest of this, isn't it? Just repeatedly being hit in the balls by wrestling. <laughs> yes. Um. Anywho, let us move on, because it wasn't really that good, was it? It was alright. I mean, ladder matches are kind of hard to mess up. Like, Yeah. There was drama involved. A couple of high spots, a couple of ladder shots, and there you're, you're golden, really. The rest of it can be the most boring stuff in the world, and people will still have a couple of things to talk about when it's done. Yeah, it was alright, I guess. It was okay. It, I mean, and you're kind of seeing, like, Ghetto and Jetto were by far the most productive of the six here, and they did a lot of the work, and you can see that they kind of, like, were gluing things together. And Nakagawa was good. For those who don't know Koji Nakagawa, he was the guy who was the uh, Bret Hart impersonator for all those years in the early run of FMW. Um, but yeah, it was okay. Should we move on to the next match? The good match. Sorry? The good match. The, the one good match of this entire card. That now, would be... There is the one women's entire, but... Facility. The women's... Sorry, say that again. There is one I technically rate higher than this for silly reasons, but on pure wrestling alone, this is the singular good match. On yes. The singular good match would be Kiera Nakayama and Emi Matakawa. We know Emi Matakawa a lot better as Emi Sakura of AEW trainer and wrestler and, of course, um, Gato Move and before that Ice Ribbon and before that, generally being, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the world, and arguably the best women's trainer wrestling in the world right now, and headliner for so many companies, and general living legend. She actually started off in IWA, um, because she couldn't get a start in the AJW dojo, and couldn't get a start in any of the other guy dojo, so she ended up in IWA. When IWA closed down and merged with FMW, she went to FMW, and ended up wrestling a guys a lot of the time because this was the end. Once Megumi Kudo had left AFMW, there wasn't an awful lot of, lot of attention paid to the women in the company after a while. And her, Kaori Nakayama, who was actually trained by Megumi Kudo, and Miss Mongol, who was trained by Atsushi Anita, were really the last three girls standing. So Emmy ended up wrestling the guys most of the time. Is that ironic? Um, Emmy Sakura, because I'm. Just before we started, I've been working on my newest Chaka Pro review, and I've just watched a match which um, Emi Sakura is a part of, and I think the Booker for. And yeah. uh, it's part of Gato Move. And I've just watched um, Yuna Mizumori fight a yoga guy whose main attacks were to scare people with yoga poses and scream at them. It, it's hilarious. Oh. It's- oh, yeah, Emi is a genius. 
<laughs> Honestly, Chocopar is the most fun I have with wrestling a lot of the time. I've never known... Go Sorry, on. Carry on. I was, was going to say... I've... Just much fun, but yeah. I was going to say, I've never known anyone hard work harder for pro wrestling than Emi Sakura. When she was the lead booker and main drawer of Ice Ribbon, she lost hair matches to Nana Takahashi and to Mako Satomura twice within the space of six months just to get Ice Ribbon over. They had big money feuds up against Stardom and big money feuds up against Sendai Girls and Ice Ribbon essentially got made in those two series. They were the first company to do streaming. They were doing streaming long before New Japan and All Japan were. Um, she's absolutely a wrestling genius. If you actually... AEW, the smartest thing they ever did was hire Emi Sakura, and they will listen to every word she says and do everything she tells them to, and they'll be the biggest wrestling company within five years. That's my personal take on it. She is that good. If they let Emi Sakura book the men's division with all those characters and all that imagination she's got, she could put WWE out of business within five years. (laughs) In my personal opinion. Maybe six. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, they wrestled jazz, as in ECW's jazz, as in the WWF's jazz, as in just retired jazz, living legend jazz. Malaya Hasaka, who's kind of well-known and kind of not, and is kind of considered a pain in the ass all over. And Miss Mongol, who was an FMW trainee. Um, Malaya Hasaka was trained by Killer Kowalski, and kind of gets this rub as being like an American wrestling legend, but she was never around long enough anywhere. She had a big run in WCW in the late 80s, let's put it that way. And that's the only time I'd really heard of her. And she gets all this, like, she get kind of like puts herself over as like this great big star, and then like everyone else goes, yeah, but you shut everybody down, and <laughs> she you didn't really help. <laughs> so God knows what she was doing on this show, to be honest with you. Apparently she was working for WWE at the time, but I don't think she was. Anyway, it's her, um, and this was brilliant. This was tons of fun. This was exactly what you wanted from an FMW wrestling show, especially on the women's side, wasn't it? What are your thoughts on this one, John? It was a nice bit of car crash Joshi wrestling. It's what it's what we love to see on shows like this. Just a lot of women with a lot of time to just sort of go, right, let's let's show everyone else up. That's that's the best thing to do. And <laughs> I'm I'm just learning that even in the nineties, Jazz was terrifying. Oh wow, like, yeah. She just kinda she makes everyone else look so tiny. <laughs> She's like the, the most first ma- figure. The first match I saw her in was uh, she was wrestling Jason Knight. Do you know who Jason Knight was? The name rings a bell. He was a WCW jobber that got signed to ECW to ma- to manage uh, Just Incredible. And Jazz and him had a feud. And she beat the shit out of him. <laughs> oh, she- I mean, I'll be... Oh. I mean, obviously, Jason Knight was bouncing for her, but yeah, and he was a jobber. That was his. That was his actually perfect for. Her. But yeah, it was hilarious. To be fair, you could put Jazz up against anyone, and they'd probably be terrified. Yes. Uh, but Should yeah. we go from the? Oh. But yeah, it was good. Yeah, there's there's not a lot you can say because you don't get a lot of the match just purely because of the bloody highlights method they take with their videotapes. 
Yeah, but um, other than that, it was good. It was very good. Uh, which means the rest of it's going to be kind of downhill from here. Anywho, Willie Williams, kickboxer, martial artist, famed for his work in the full contact karate sport of the 1970s and for wrestling Antonio Inoki in the 1980s and what was considered a forerunner of mixed martial arts. Uh, now, here's the thing. FMW decided to go back to their mixed martial arts roots, bring Willie Williams out of retirement, and who do they pick to fight him? Bad boy freaking Edo. Because honestly, of all the people on their roster who I could think would represent them as a pure wrestling martial artist champion, it's not bad boy freaking Edo. <laughs> but John, yeah. you may think differently from me. He does make the most of it, at least. He wrecks a couple of boards on the way to the ring, and after that, it's pretty much all downhill. <laughs> it was entertaining and short, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah, this was not... Back in the day when Awada used to go 20 minutes with um, some poor sod from the dojo, uh, it was an improvement on that, certainly. But they did take things a bit more seriously back in the day. It lasted two rounds, and Willie Williams presented his bandana to Hedo uh, as, as, as Hedo tried to pick himself up off the floor, because he looked seriously concussed at I this mean, stage. And a lot of kicks to the head. Yes. I'm sure, I'm sure he got a telling off from Megumi Kudo when he got home. Um, but yeah it was dreadful just just awful awful but yeah you liked it you thought it was entertaining at least I I, I just like seeing people get kicked in the head to be honest like you're you're a man of simple needs John I'm a sadist through and through so just when I know someone is trying to take part in a shoot fight and it is going horribly wrong for them it is kind of funny to me (laughs) okay then well the next was even weirder to be honest with you Naoki Yamazaki and Yoshivino Sasaki were two young boys who came up through the FMW dojo I'm just checking because I'm on the cage match one who trained them yeah Koji Nakagawa Koji Nakagawa from Big Japan Pro Wrestling fair enough um, and Katsushi Miyima trained, uh, um, uh, where are we? Yoshio Sasaki. Sasaki these days is known as Mammoth Sasaki and wrestles for pro wrestling freedom, so I'm sure you know him quite well, John. Awesome. He is, Mammoth Sasaki is bloody amazing. I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> I spent the entirety of this match just looking at him thinking, is that Mammoth Sasaki? That looks like yes. Mammoth Sasaki. And I'm like, it is Mammoth Sasaki. Thanks. And they wrestled the Funk Brothers, as in Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. I now, here's the thing. exist. Okay, here's the thing. 18 months before, the Terry Funk Wrestling Army had tried to take over FMW in the biggest, baddest heel faction around. And then he comes back 18 months later for a feel-good retirement run. Hey, everybody, the Funks are back in Japan. And the music hits, and everybody goes, Oh, it's Terry, and it's Dory Senior Junior. So this made no sense whatsoever from a storyline, but the FMW fans were quite happy to forgive him. But just, 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 just this match baffled me. <laughs> Go on, then. Why? If this was Terry Funk's retirement tour... Eh. No, wow. 
we know what Terry Funk in retirement means, but he was wrestling in F in MLW a couple of years later, so of course it wasn't retirement, but well, both were in tag team. If they're trying to bloody sell it as such, eh, why is he fighting a couple of young boys? You'd want him to have higher class opposition. And B, from the pre-match videotape stuff, which I love to pad this thing out with, <laughs> like, the these two, like Yamazaki and Sasaki, are apparently quite the dominant little force going on, so how would you make them look better? Oh, we'll job them out to the funk. Yeah, why not? Oh, yeah. To be fair, it's difficult finding highly qualified sacrificial lambs these days, and even as it was back then. Um, but, yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. You either bring them in, if they're a big major threat, like they should be, because they're the funks, then you run them at the World Tag Team Champions. If they're just coming in for a show, you stick them in against complete nobodies or mid-carders who are not going to stand the loss, or you have them lose. I'm bearing in mind that Dory and Terry were still appearing on New Japan shows like 17 years later. I can tell you they ain't retiring. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you look at it and you're like, why does this exist? It's just weird and it's just oddly placed. And if the Fonks want to come back and do a big super show, that makes sense. And it makes perfect sense to stick them on the show. But it needs to be something slightly more leaningless than this. And shorter. 15 minutes was far too long. And they showed the whole bloody match. <laughs> but to be fair, I've watched Dory Funk wrestle even at now. At 80 years old, I'd watch him wrestle any day of the week. Yeah. However, not on the biggest show of the year for your company. There's like a much more impactful tag match like coming up that gets half the screen time of it. Yes, because they're trying to kill each other, but they weren't. So let's move on. <laughs> so, Kiritaro Kanemura, better known to me and you as Wing Kanemura, the WEW Hardcore Champion, defended his title against Balls Mahoney in 12 minutes and 34 seconds, where the two gentlemen involved were their usual genteel selves in a match that could only be described as really terrible. This was the and... best match on the show. <laughs> this was amazing. <laughs> This, most of it after... Carry on. This was the most fun the company allowed themselves to have with this show. Like, this was ridiculous, I... and I loved it for it. I didn't like it just because it looked like every other hardcore title match in the WWE over the last 25 years. Oh, look, they're in the back. Hey, look, there's a car. Oh, let's get inside the car. And it just, yeah, just. I'm pretty sure that's what it was trying to be—a parody of the WWE hardcore stuff. No, it, it's not. It doesn't have that much intelligence to be a parody of it. It was it just that. Because <laughs> came out dancing, and he was fighting Balls Mahoney. I, I, I lowered my expectations somewhat, and just to see so that... two men basically beating up a car for half this match. <laughs> And then Kanemura going full Shane McMahon mode and di hitting a diving leg drop off scaffolding through tables that didn't break was just the icing on the cake of this absolute mess. But it was hilarious. And it was it didn't 
take itself seriously. It was just one long running joke, it felt like. And that's why I liked it. I think that's the thing with me, is like when Kanemura after this period just stops taking himself seriously. Like at the opening part of this was him doing his morning workout whilst naked on the roof of an office building. And I've seen things in Osaka Pro where he does promos while sat on the toilet and the camera pulls back and he's like sat at him and in the two. And to me, it's like I was looking at, um, oh, I was thinking Trent Brett, who does all the FMW history, he did a um, a Twitter thread on the history of the fire match the other day, and it was the Ghetto and Jeddo versus Wing Kanemura and that poor other bloke who got set fire to in yeah. the car park in Osaka, the, the Wing show. Shoji Nakagawa? Yeah. Yeah, Shoji Nakagawa, that's it. And the I was, match journalist who basically became one, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 which when me and Chelsea talked an awful lot about on uh, earlier episodes of the FMW story that we've been talking about. And it is like, I understand why you'd want to calm down after that happened to you, where you lost 75% of the skin on your back. That's reasonable. I can understand it. But I, for me, he went too far the other way. Like, he became kind of, he didn't take himself quite seriously enough. And for a start, Balls is kind of like, in a similar position, he does his, his name's Balls Mahoney, and he has to take himself semi seriously. There's also like the amount of chair shots to the head because it's Balls Mahoney, and you know it's like that mm, that that rankles in this day and age with me. But it's FMW. Me, and, me, you, and Chelsea, and uh, have, have like looked back at all these shows and have looked far seen far more worse stuff than somebody taking a headshot shot to the head with a chair, but. I think I'm gutted I never got to cover the FMW show with the one-minute fire death match where they literally set the ring on fire and couldn't do it. <laughs> the Sheik had, like, uh, second-degree burns, and they were just like, right, we've, we've got to stop. This is not possible. Brett did the... Brett, Brett started with that one. Uh, the earliest fire matches that we between us, Rob Viper did point out that the match that me and Daryl looked at a few weeks ago, um, which had uh, Hercules Alaya versus the versus Carlos Colon in a, in a World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico, was the first fire match anyone managed to successfully do, um, which wasn't quite as ridiculous. But anyway, in the history of fire matches. Let's move on. Yeah, I don't think it was terrible. I just, it was a mess. And I just kind of was yearning for something more serious, I feel. And I think that's my issue with this entire card is everything's kind of done in a light, jokey manner. And there's no consequences for the actions. Does that make sense? Really? I thought this show was trying to take itself way too seriously, to be honest. And this was the first breath of fresh air we really got past since the ladder match. Mm. Yeah, no, to me it's like, hmm, it's like you said, it's lost the hard edge. And I wanted a bit more hard edge to make everything more powerful. Does that make sense? Well, as I sort of said to you, this this just didn't feel like FMW to me. This no, no. Like some sort of knockoff mishmash of ECW and WWF that they couldn't get make their mind up on. So basically, yeah. in this sort of chimera abomination of just mediocre matches and 
crappy, pretty, show layout. Yeah, I mean, this next match kind of like sums up the issues with it. Um, really, it's it's. I think this is better. This is better than the hardcore style match for me. But um, the tag team WWE Tag Team Championships was defended by the champions Hiskasutsu Oya and Tetsuhiro Kuroda against the ECW champions at the time, Raven and Tommy Dreamer, with Francine. This lasted for 11 minutes and 13 seconds and was had some interesting bits and was more of an interesting match, but I think that's more down to the fact that Tommy Dreamer and Raven are really, really good workers and they could get an awful lot out of a career or annoy you. This was amazing. It's just um, they didn't show it off and... The thing that rubbed salt in the wound was the fact that this match was preceded not only by some sort of weird advert with Oya and Kuroda in, but then also was preceded by a 10-minute musical number for, <laughs> was it Oya's entrance? Kuroda's yeah, entrance? Yeah, it was Oya's entrance. It was Oya, Oya's entrance, yeah. Yeah, 10 minutes. Wasted on that, and we got about 7 minutes of match. I'm sorry. Yeah, the actual... They, like... They cut down so many of the matches on this videotape and then waste 10 minutes on a bloody musical number. What? Yes, the match was 11 minutes and 13 seconds in actual length. And it was was also a bit weird because Raven and Tommy Dreamer weren't a tag team. If you know your ECW history, on the last night... Yeah, well, on the last night of the Dudley's run... In ECW, the Dudleys pinned, um, I can't remember, it was one of the big, long-standing tag teams they'd had a big feud with. The Dudleys pinned them on the last night and were still ECW tag team champions and told the fans, we're taking these with us, unless any other team can take us from, take it from us. Tommy Dreamer came down to defend the honour of ECW, the lights went out, and Raven returned from WCW, Dropped Bubba Ray with a DDT, climbed, rolled on top, took the tag team titles and chucked the belt to Tommy. And they weren't, they they kind of worked together as tag team champions for a bit. <laughs> and this was one of the periods of times where they worked together. But it really essentially was two singles matches going on in a tag team match, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was really good. Because Raven yeah. and Tommy Dreamer are really good. Yeah, but my favourite bit was... Uh, I think it was I think it was Corroda uh, c- collapsing Raven. Raven tried to DDT him on the ramp, and he collapsed him into a small package, and they rolled rolled halfway down the ramp. That's like the <laughs> that opening, was really clever. That was like the opening highlight of the match because it's like oh yeah. the ramp, and then all of a sudden they're just rolling. Why does Corroda look like a salary man that got lost on the way to the to work? He was he was kind of a jobber for a very long while, and he only really started getting a push a bit before this. So he was still trying to figure out where he was going, to be honest with you. It's just the entire image doesn't scream pro wrestler. It screams salaryman cosplaying wrestler. Like he's yes. Not, he's good. It's just he, the image was all off for me. And he's in the ring yeah. with like two extreme legends and someone who I've never heard of, and I'm just like... Oh yeah. This is re- oh yeah. Again, he's it lo- another person who looks familiar, but I couldn't place the name anywhere. You know the reason why, and this is the major reason why is this: the last time you saw him, he was going bald at the front and had a mullet. 
You're with kidding. the black tights. That no, you're... that was. That's Arya now. That's Arya. Yeah. Oh. Uh, then. Uh... <laughs> now it makes sense. <laughs> I, I told you I never watched this far into FMW for a yes. reason. I can't even recognize some of their stars anymore because they just look wrong. It's because he shaved his head and then instantly looked twenty years long, twenty years younger. Because he did look like a particularly dodgy bar owner. Yeah, the, I, uh, yeah. I spent the entire time and like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that that sounds familiar. Why, why, why can I not picture who this is? And then, oh, it's because he doesn't have his Eddie Ormy ratty biker hair anymore. <laughs> and then and we're flying through these matches now under normal circumstances an FMW anniversary show we'd have only watched about three matches by now because they all lasted half an hour and there was about 30 of them but this is kind of like this is the kind of thing they kind of paced it like a WWE show so you only have um, how many matches do you have I've just flicked the page forward by mistake one, eight. two, eight matches as opposed to the usual 12 or 13 and there isn't. It looks more professional, and the music production's better, and they've got video graphics, and but everyone's this, wearing nicer kit. This bloody tape we watched could have been about an yeah. hour, with all the bloody guff and filler stuff they put in. Because that's like, the issue as well. Carry on. You broke it into two parts, and like the last part is the last two matches. And that, that fills about 45 minutes. The other 45 minutes of that video's runtime is recaps and packages and just useless stuff. So yeah, I, it's... I hate this tape because it's cut out so much action for so much complete and utter useless filler. Well, like you said, it's essentially Vince Russo-style wrestling, isn't it? It's trying to it's trying to sell the story so you have less violence. You don't need the violence because you're trying to sell a story. But the stories that they're trying to tell are nowhere near as complex as what they said be told before, but they're taking a longer time to tell them. Like, if you go back to, I don't know, Mr. Pogo versus Atsushi Nita, there's a complicated, layered story about the veteran who kind of invented hardcore wrestling away from Japan who comes to take on the, the, the champion and the stoic fighter who's gone through all this stuff. That's a complicated and layered story that requires a lot of uh, work on behalf of the watcher to understand what's going on. But Pogo and Anita are good enough to explain it within ring promos. These stories aren't as complicated but they spent that much time on production. It's like, well, we made this video. We should really show it. <laughs> it's like... In the sort of build-up for this next match, there's like 20 minutes of videos. And it's like just Fuyuki and Tanaka basically speaking at each other. And one video of Fuyuki Gun pissing on some poor bloke who was then seen crying in a shower later. It's, Which may have been, it would have been Satirio Aoki, who was then the owner of FMW. Really? He really had an easier time without Onita there. Uh, he's being pissed on. Yeah, I, but bear, bear in mind that he was in charge of the company and that was his idea. 
as as I've said to you in messages, are appealing to the fetish market. Very very progressive thing. <laughs> You'd be I, surprised. Like they've got a porn star on the show, man. Yeah, you know I'm I'm starting to sense a theme here. Anywho, so the next match was for the WEW World Heavyweight Championship, formerly the FMW Brass Knuckles Heavyweight Championship, which was co then owned by Kodo Fuyuki, who'd used it to control the company and turn it into WEW. Masato Tanaka, the then one of the two big singles draws in FMW at the time, was trying to bring back the old ways, which left ended up with a loser leaves FMW 13,000 volt Thunderbolt cage deathmatch, which was less deathy than perhaps we had been led to believe. Um, when you're used to cage matches in FMW being no rope key electrified cage matches and all of the violence, you kind of, this is an incredibly disappointing wrestling match because Fuyuki is not a bad wrestler. He's a fairly mid-card kind of level wrestler where you stick him in an FMW brawling environment and he's actually quite good. He can tell a story really well. Masato Tanaka is friggin' Masato Tanaka. He wouldn't have been FMW champion a couple of times by, by this point. He was obviously former ECW World Heavyweight champion by this point. Um, his feuds with Mike Corsum had been an absolute hit on two sides of the Pacific. So he's, uh, he's an all-time top 50 wrestler easily. And so you think this is going to work. However, because they put it in this environment that is so anti-FMW, because the cage is not electrified, they're going to have to sell it really, really hard. Um, it's, you know, it, it's built up. It's, it's classic wrestling. It's built up to be more dangerous than it perhaps is and what maybe what FMW should have started in the first place. But it's still not... It just makes for a fairly pedestrian match. It's but not like good. Three explosions, and that's it. It's like the cage looks bloody awesome. They've got all these Tesla coils running up the sides of it. There's these sort of electrified lights to show there's an actual current running through it, and then they use it all of about three times. And it's it just so miserable. I mean, I suppose, to be fair, if you do it right, you only do it three times, but neither of these two is that social unita. So the jeopardy just isn't there. The thing is, you know, all the time, when you see these electrified cage matches, it's either really intense wrestling or a sickle is involved. It's like there's there's nothing here but pedestrian wrestling, Fuyuki taking ten minutes to take down the ring ropes, and a couple of explosions, which the, when you're uh, a we, and, like FMW watcher, you're kind of nullified to. And if you're a new fan that's coming to this new product that's reinventing itself, what is there to actually get your head round? A, a mid-card guy, try, a, a, a world-class wrestler trying to carry a mid-card guy, mid guy to a match and doing things that don't make sense. Like, he's got a metal bar to undo the, the ring bolts, which is fine, but why not just hit him with the metal bar? Why are you having to undo the ring bolts? Eventually he gets to the point where he'd have to strangle him. It's like, all right, fair enough, but you took a long while to get to that particular point. It, it just is not very logical at all. I love both of these guys, but it's just this match is so horrible. It's, it's so not good. 
And the, and say uh. like, how can you call this a death match? There is no death here whatsoever. <laughs> no, it's the safest death match you'll ever see. They make up such a big deal about it being electrified, and it's just they barely do anything with it. To go no, back to go back to the bloody Yakuza thing at the start, I did a bloody electrified cage tournament in the game, and I was throwing people off at left, right, and centre so you could basically one-shot them. If you've got an electrified cage, you bloody use it. Well, see, the thing is as well, the previous electrified cage matches down the years was Hayabusa versus Anita. It wasn't going to be that good. Mr. Pogo versus Anita. It wasn't going to be that good. And Jinichiro friggin' Tenaru versus Anita, it definitely wasn't going to be that good. So they were on a hiding to nothing anyway. And they kind of under-delivered. Which left everything in the hands of the main event. <sighs> which could have been better. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. But it is an incredibly convoluted way of going about promoting a wrestling match. So let's start at the beginning. For those of you who know... Hayabusa was the main draw of FMW upon the departure of Anita. Him and Tanaka were pretty much given the company to look after, as shown uh, in the main event of the eighth, sixth anniversary show where they wrestled Terry Funk and Mr. Pogo in a no-rope barbed wire uh, landmine match, which Pogo and Funk won, and then they got a bollocking off Anita. <laughs> for being poor baby faces and running his company into the ground. But anywho, Hayabusa took that and, and ran with it and ended up being the lead baby face for the company by the time we get to the 10th anniversary. Now, as you know, Tarzan Goto left FMW in the mid-90s to help form, first of all, uh, well, the IWA, because he was part of the IWA King of Death Matches in 1995, and he took with him a young Mr. Ganesuke, now, Mr. Ganesuke and Hayabusa were actual high school friends. They had gone through high school together. They grew up together. They joined the FMW Dojo together. Well, they joined the AJ, All Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo together and then joined the FMW Dojo together when um, when Goto left the company. And they'd grown up together. They were literally best friends, even though Ganesuke had always been Goto's guy and Hayabusa had always been Anita's guy. They had stuck by each other's side um, until Ganesuke went off to IWA with Goto because he was one of his guys. Uh, when he came back to FMW, they had this big reunion. They shook hands, and then Ganesuke turned on Hayabusa. And this became the big story for the 10th anniversary show. Eventually, um, Ganesuke defeated Hayabusa and took on the Hayabusa persona, and Hayabusa became H. And they built to another big match, a Kurokin call called the anal bomb match, which was literally a firecracker up the loser gets a firecracker up the ass match, basically. <laughs> um, which sadly wasn't on this card because it would have been entertaining as hell. The end, but the end of the match was on this particular build-up video, and then they decided to have one big blow-off match at the tenth anniversary, which had no special stipulations. It was just regular, a regular good old-fashioned wrestling yeah, match. Definitely. The only stipulation being would there would be a special referee, which ended up being the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. Because uh, why not? He's... 
Uh, John, that was just noise. Do you want to say that again? Because it just came out as... For, for what reason? Why? Because he's a really big name. <laughs> and to add intrigue. The bloody women. Well, yes, this is true. And the they pres- his entrance and the interruption he had against um, Fuyuki and the Order had more time than the women's match. Well, not in reality it didn't, but on this particular tape it did. So, and that was that, really. They had a wrestling match. And Gamasuke is an incredibly good and capable wrestler. And Hayabusa was arguably the best aerial, or certainly the most confident aerial wrestler I ever saw. And they proceeded to have a particularly dull wrestling match. It wouldn't have mattered if this was deathmatch or not, because they were just both having an off night. And it went on for 18 minutes and it was about 12 minutes too long someone should have called an audible and finished this hell because they were trying to hammer an awful lot in to be honest and it was just far too much and it it wasn't great was it no this is it both guys are amazing wrestlers but much like the last match it was just dull they're they're trying so hard to do this sort of one thing that the match itself is suffering it's like, oh, story, 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 story. Oh, the wrestling is really not fitting it here. And it's just... How do you make Hayabusa and Ganesuke boring? Like, that, that is a fucking miracle in of itself that you managed to do that. Like, when I originally read the main event, I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome. It's Mr. Ganesuke, it's Hayabusa, they've had matches before, they'll... It'll be amazing. No, I'm there just watching, like, why? Why is this so boring? Why has Shawn Michaels just kicked him in the teeth? Why is he no longer getting involved after kicking someone in the teeth? Why? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? It's just, you're there for, like, as you said, 18 minutes just questioning why the hell it's still going on. <laughs> yeah, it just, I mean, I didn't... <laughs> it's not bad, it's just boring. And see, the thing is, last week me and Alex looked at the Giant Baba Memorial Show. Same year, it was in the August of that year, so it was literally four months beforehand. And Hayabusa tagged with Tiger Mask and Great Sasuke and oh. put in an absolute blinder. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I can't remember who they wrestled. It was it was the old Japan guys. I'll see if I can find out for you because this, this was a week ago and it's a long while. I've done an awful lot of wrestling watching this week. Um, Giant Baba sounds amazing. You you just keep talking about this match and I'll find out for you. <laughs> the abomination of the main event for the FMW one, or the fact that Hayabusa team was a great Sasuke and Tiger Mask, and I've never bloody seen it. Um. If you listened to last week's Troopness show, you would have known about it, though, wouldn't you? You say that, but I was, like, knee-deep in deathmatch stuff. <laughs> uh, let me just pull the Jammer Barrow in my show in 1999. Um, I, yeah. I like, if they were going to do a special referee stipulation, it would have been better to have had someone people gave a damn about. Like, sure, Michaels was popular, but I think before this, he'd probably never set foot in Japan. Oh, no, he had. Loads of times. 
Yeah, because he was him and Marty Jannetty never held the WWF Tag Team Championships, but they held the SWS Tag Team Championships in um, SWS. Uh, they wrestled in Tokyo Dome. If you look at the Bret Hart uh, DVD, one of his favorite his favorite Rockers versus the Hart Foundation match was in the Tokyo Dome for SWS. So he'd had a long career of, and he'd he'd gone over with the AWA, I think, in the eighties too. So they did know Shawn Michaels, but they didn't know him as the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. But he had done a couple of spots for SWS and probably for War as well, I would think too. And this always baffles me because WWF always made it look like their um, talents were their own, never sort of travelled. They just thought they're in WWE and they're in WWE for good. And you'd never, I never realised Michaels had been to Japan. Oh yeah, yeah. We see the the SWS deal and then into the war deal. There was um, Genichiro Tenaru. It basically boiled down to we're going off the point of FMW, but it kind of plays into the whole thing. Uh, back in 1990, Giant Baba did the Tokyo Dome with Wrestling Summit, and the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Stan Hansen in the Tokyo Dome. Um, and there was New Japan guys on that show, and it was like all three big companies wrestling Summit. That was the whole idea. And Tenru wrestled Randy Savage. And then Tenru managed to get out of that, got a kind of relationship with Vince McMahon, hence the region why him and Koji Kitao ended up being at WrestleMania 7. And that's when they started SWS. There was a, um, a lens company, an opticians basically, an industrial opticians that sponsored SWS. They put the money behind it. Vince McMahon gave him some money and some access to gauging talent so he wasn't able to chase him off of the other companies. Oh, we talked SWS recently with the Road Warriors. Yeah, that was it. So, Road Warriors, that one of the, we watched an SWS show the other day. So, yeah, the Rockers actually stayed there. One of the reasons why they were off WWF TV for a while in 1990, I think it was, is because they had six months on the road in Japan. Hmm. Wrestling as SWS Tag Team Champions. So yeah, uh, bizarrely, one of the most bizarre things out of that relationship was a couple of years down the line, if you look at the Wrestling and Romance or Re- Pro Wrestling War six-man tag team championships, there is one reign, I'm pretty sure it was Bob Backlund, Rick the Model Martel, and the Warlord as both six-man tag team champions. What? <laughs> but there you are. Uh, at one point, anyway, yes, the, to go back, Hayabusa, the great Sasuke, uh, and Tiger Mask wrestled the Untouchables, Masahiro Kakihara, Yoshiro Gawa, and Menaki Mossman in for a 30 minute time limit draw, which was given four stars by the Wrestling Observer. That's there you go. Amazing. An FMW Michinoku Pro dream team. <laughs> so, yeah. H and Hayabusa, I mean, the, the the idea really was sound. Hayabusa was actually a very photogenic young man who was better without a mask than with it on. Though I think perhaps wearing, you know, de- cut-off denim shorts and a thong was perhaps a little too far. And but, that know. just sounds like Tony Depp and now we have a, <laughs> a sort of ICW no-holds-barred show and that he's just wearing daisy-do. It's like... And he still looks tougher than half the people there. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that, really. And that was the show, which wasn't great. 
but there you go. And we probably won't do the 11th anniversary show because it gets a bit depressing after this particular point. I mean, why not? You've already started this trend. Well, we might as well continue <laughs> at this point. We, we've already shot them once. We might as well finish the job. Oh, if I can find the FMW 11th anniversary show when it actually on... Um, if I could find it anywhere on video, I've not seen it yet. I was, I found it hard to. I, the tenth anniversary floats around like all the FMW anniversary shows you can find on YouTube somewhere. And if you're really desperate, Rudo Reels will have it, or um, uh, one of the DVD companies will have it. Uh, however, this one. It's match now. Um, I'll have a look at it. FMW 11th anniversary show. Um, it's why is there a I'm show not... called FMW Deep Draw? Why not? That was probably a need to. It was in 2000. Well, you... Yeah, but you can see even then. I mean, like the main event was Hayabusa versus Masato Tanaka. Um, this was. You look at the 11th. Um, as Yuki was still the booker at this particular point. Um, but it's 4,200 people at Komazawa Gymnasium. Literally half the amount of people that were at uh, Yokohama Arena. And three thousand. the 11,000 that are at Yokohama Arena are 3,000 less. Sorry, 3,000 less than what Megumi Kudo and Shark Shashir put in there for the anniversary show in three years earlier. It doesn't even look like Cage Match has the 11th anniversary. It's Wikipedia. You can find it on there. Um, main event was Hayabusa versus Masato Tanaka. Kota Fuyuki versus Tetsuhiro Kuroda. Sabu versus Mr. Ganosuke. Gedo Jedo and Nakagawa versus Willie Williams, Willie Takayama, Boozy, and Megne. <laughs> it just looks dreadful. <laughs> defeat Jersey Boy, Yoshinori Kisasuke, and Hideki Hosa to defeat Samoans. Karake Arai defeats John Katanagi. Oh god, it, it, you're right, this just looks depressing. Yeah, Kota Fuyuki versus Tetsuya Karada for the World Championship. And once again, the World Championship is not the main event. It's not going well, is what I'm saying. Well, we know how the story ends, so. Well, yes, and we should probably say the origin story. Obviously, with Hayabusa as the lead draw, uh, there was a lot of pressure on him. And in 2001, whilst wrestling Mamatsuzaki, he attempted a springboard moonsault and unfortunately missed the landing and broke his neck, which paralyzed him from the neck down. He would get feeling back in his body in the ensuing years and rather famously walked his final steps to the ring before passing away in 2015. I think it was 2015 try and make sure I get my dates right. Um, yeah, 2016, I do apologise. But perhaps even more tragically, uh, Suchiki Akai, sorry, I did that right, Suichi Arai um, passed away in 2002 because, funnily enough, as you mentioned Yakuza earlier, FMW, much like a lot of the Japanese professional wrestling promotions in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s have a lot of involvement financially from the Yakuza. 
Anita did use Yakuza money to set FMW up in the first place. It was the only place he could get cheap enough loans to be able to start a major wrestling company, you know, and it was always well known that you did not land in one side of the front row if you were going for a brawl into the crowd because that's where some very dangerous people were sat. And the money that Arai borrowed, he needed to pay back. He believed he had a life insurance policy that would cover the Yakuza pet debts that he owed, which was somewhere in the region of $14 million at the time. Unfortunately, the life insurance policy didn't, and his family, once he committed suicide, ended up paying the Yakuza back at a very slow rate, as you could imagine. Though I understand the debts have been settled by various fundraising exercises uh, to help his family out. It's a sad end to a great story in many senses. The Anita era is certainly something that was really important to wrestling fans in the 1990s, both of us, obviously, because we both loved the FMW of the 90s era. But this kind of, like, captures its demise, doesn't it? It's quite sad, because when we look at the 97 shows, it was still this sort of... You had the funk invasion, which was like... It was different, but it was still trying to be FMW. At this point, it just feels like a second-rate wrestling company trying to wear FMW skin. Yeah, I think that's it. It's trying to be WWF Attitude Era very, very, very hard. And as much as like we've both ragged on Vince Russo, they don't have that Vince Russo element, do they? They don't have the the glue holding the entire thing together, as much as everyone hates Vince Russo, myself included. The attitude he tends to bring to his programming. No, he hasn't hasn't got that unifying presence, has it? And it's like, Vince Russo is a tool, but in the 90s and early 2000s, he knew what the hell people wanted. Not so much people. (laughs) I I, I would suggest... I would suggest he could produce a television series show that looked coherent from beginning to end. I'll leave it at that. I just looked at that Uh, um, FMW Deep Throat show and the really weird card. You've got Ricky Fuji defeating Chocoball Mukai, Flying Kid Ichihara defeating Shinjuku Shark, which sounds like some kind of mascot, Gedo Jedo and Kayori Nakai. Nakayama defeating Brad Elliott, Damian Blade, and Pat Tanaka. Kyoko Inoue defeating Naohiko Yamazaki. A two-on-one handicap match which saw Hisakatsu Oya defeat Azusa Kudo and Emi Motokawa. Or Emi Sakura. A hardcore tag team title match. Between Hideki Hosaka and Mama Sasaki defeating Homeless Jimmy and Supreme. Christ, they had extreme <laughs> guy. Onryo defeating Goemon in under six minutes. Tetsuhiro Kuroda defeating Mr. Ganesuke. Kintaro Kanemura defeating Masato Tanaka for the hardcore title. And the main event, a heavyweight title match where Fuyuki defeated Hayabusa in 21 minutes and 29 seconds, which means loser leaves town means nothing since this show took place. Yeah, see, that's it. Fioki was booking the company. He couldn't leave town. It was... That show basically happened about just under a year later. Which is the thing, as we know, when wrestling companies lose credibility when they don't 
stick by stipulation, specifically lose or lose town. Fuyuki wasn't going anywhere. He was the lead booker. Fuyuki himself, obviously, we both know that he sadly passed away. In fact, there is a startling a number of people who are no longer alive that were on this show, which is kind of worrying, just yeah. genuinely. Um, just trying to think. Well, everyone's still alive. He was in the open, as far as I can tell. Um, how's the women's tag match? Willie Williams is no longer with us. Hedo is. Dory Funk and Terry Funk will obviously both live forever. <laughs> and, uh, Sasaki is still wrestling. Yamazaki is retired. Uh, Wing Kanemura is still with us. Balls Mahoney is sadly no longer with us. Oya, Kuroda, Raven, and Tommy Dreamer are all with us, as is Francine. Masato Tanaka and Cody Fuyuki, well, Masato Tanaka is still with us and still wrestling to a very high standard. So is Kodo Fuyuki. And, of course, Hayabusa is no longer with us, but Mr. Ganesuke is. And that's kind of a sad end to our FMW coverage on the Beginner's Guide to Professional Wrestling. I thought it's just because that's how the company sort of went. Keep it out. They tried to keep up with the trends of, like, modern sort of wrestling audiences whilst BJW was sort of siphoning off their deathmatch sort of hype. And yeah, it with a, I was going to say BJW did it with a lot less overheads on production, and I think that was the key issue. I feel like people they saw FMW getting too glamorous because that's what brought people in originally. It was this rough and ready company with amazing wrestlers doing the most insane matches. I would say amazing wrestlers was was stretching it in the early days of FMW. Yeah, but I, I'm gonna chat it up because I like the company, aren't I? But you get what I mean. Well, it's, it's I, I mean, I think if you go back to that um, summer spectacular show of 1990, which was the first proper FMW show, which featured the mixed bag of everything FMW used to do. So it had it had some mixed martial arts on it, it had women's wrestling on it, it had Lucha Libre stuff on it, and it had Kier and Anita in the main event. And you compare that to this show, it is like two different wrestling companies. Even though some of the wrestlers are still the same, uh, Mr. Ganesuke would be on both, Hayabusa would probably be on both. Um, you know, it's like... It, like what happened you know and it's even if you put like I don't know the biggest anniversary show was the match with Tenaru that was in Kawasaki Baseball Stadium 36,000 people standing room only and this was standing room only but it was at the short format Yokohama Arena so they could only get 11,000 in anyway and it doesn't feel as exciting to me does it no it's FMW I don't declined so badly because it lost what made FMW FMW. Yeah. You also have to bear in mind some of those anniversary shows were bloody awful as we've discussed. There's perhaps only two or three matches worth watching on some of them, especially the early ones. So the, the second and The company was never perfect, but it had a specific identity of what it wanted to be. And I... also, I think as well, what it lost out on with those early days of FMW, was it was still a three-ring circus. There was women's wrestling, there was Lucha Libre, there was mixed martial arts, there was, they brought in people from different companies to do different styles of matches. 
everything if you didn't like the clowns the elephants would be long in a minute whereas this is very much like watching a guy getting shot out of a cannon as Mick Foley quite famously said it's very much like ECW it's the same thing all the time whereas the early FMW believe it or not was a much more varied show as a FM, FMW was FMW. You could never mistake it for something else. It was no. a chaotic mixed bag of spectacle, showmanship, the three-ring circus approach to things. By 1999 to 2000s and onwards, it was just a sad sort of WWF clone. It was trying yeah. to bring in this sort of audience that it had never really had because people tuned in to FMW because they were brought in by either the spectacle, the violence, or the wrestlers. And by 1999, you were relying on the wrestlers, and even then, half of them had gone off elsewhere. So you were basically down to about a fifth of the appeal you once had. Yeah, and I, I think as well, with the best will in the world, Hayabusa and Masate Tanaka were not the draw as Sushi Nita was, but they weren't the draw Combat Toyota was, and they weren't the draw Megumi Kuda was either. They were left to sort of try and man this sinking ship that was never going to make it to port again. No, that's it. That's the thing. It's, um... it's sad, but there we are. Sorry you didn't go a bit depressing today. Uh, if you want to go listen to Dara and Dave talk about Impact Wrestling Turning Point on the Wrestling Rewind to brighten your day, you could do that. <laughs> After we've just been very maudlin. Um, but that's the way it is these days. Yeah, this has been a lot less ranty than I expected, considering the messages I, I was sending you. I think you've had 24 hours to think about it. I think if you'd watched it this afternoon, it would have been a very different story. <laughs> I'm just and I think you. Yeah, it's just, it's just. Sad. Go watch that Noah show; it was really good. Oh, today's World Tag League show was really good as well. Yeah, yeah. I get to catch up with Best of Super Juniors or Tag League. I, I Suzuki Gun versus Gorillas of Destiny today. It was Dangerous Techers, and 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 they really went for it. It was it was a remarkable match to watch, to be honest with you. I'll not Did tell you the results. Sorry. Did we get big match Taishi? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, big match Taishi and um, you you you're not, oh Tama Tonga these days is really cracking some off and Tango Lower actually, all four of them really trying very very hard because it's the one match I've wanted to see for a long period of time because they never got to see it because Dangerous Tekas didn't get going until Golden Ace had the belts did they? Not so, really. So it was like, ooh, I would like to see Dangerous Techers versus G.O.D. That'd be really interesting. Finally got to see it today, and it was. I'll probably watch it after I finish Chocker Pro. There you go. <laughs> well, that concludes the True Finish show for today. If you are not listening to it, but you can listen to it, there is the Today at Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League, which I'm going through both tournaments. I made the epic decision to watch Best of Super Juniors as well, because why not? Uh, <laughs> um, and that's going to go out daily the shows are about 7 to 8 minutes long uh, it just gives you a general catch up of what the matches were like and the results 
I did say maybe doing one for the Noah show today, but I haven't got around watching the rest, and I kind of had to do work and stuff. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, that'll be all the way through this week. You'll probably get two or three shows out of me this week, and then we'll get back to next Sunday, and we'll watch something else. I'm not sure what. We will get round to it. Me and Alex are trying to get, when Alex has got the time, we're trying to get to the birth of Noah, which is the next big development in the Japanese wrestling story, uh, as we did the end of it, all Japan Pro Wrestling last week. But take care, and we'll see you soon. John, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Twitter under the username John Deathman. That is kind of like the gateway to find all the work that I do, all the writings I do, all the ramblings I do. You can obviously listen to me here on the True Penny Show, where I seem to haunt it like a particularly bad ghost. Uh, there's all the writing at Steel Chair Magazine, where both me and Mr. True Penny contribute to. And yeah, I do have a coffee, 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 however the hell you pronounce it, if you want to support the work of Deathmatch Dave Meltzer here. I just can't. <laughs> You're way better than Dave Meltzer. Thank you very much for listening today. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook, The Troopany Show, as well as Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever. For everyone, please do. If you'd like to sponsor the show, email me at show, sorry, thetroopinyshow at gmail.com. That would be lovely because we'd like to cover some of the costs of the show. So please let us know what you would like to do. In the meantime, have a good week and we'll speak to you soon. Bye! <laughs>